Welcome back to The Daily Poem, a podcast from Goldberry Studios. I'm Heidi White, and today is Friday, July 7th, 2023. Today's poem is by Thomas Merton, and it's called An Elegy for Ernest Hemingway. I'll read it once and then offer a few comments, and then I'll read it again. An Elegy for Ernest Hemingway. Now, for the first time on the night of your death, your name is mentioned in convents, Necaras in obscurum. Now, with a true bell, your story becomes final. Now, men in monasteries, men of requiems, familiar with the dead, include you in their offices. You stand anonymous among thousands, waiting in the dark at great stations on the edge of countries known to prayer alone, where fires are not merciless, we hope, and not without end. You pass briefly through our midst. Your books and writing have not been consulted. Our prayers are pro defunto end. Yet some look up as though among a crowd of prisoners or displaced persons, they recognized a friend once known in a far country. For these, the sun also rose after a forgotten war upon an idiom you made great. They have not forgotten you. In their silence, you are still famous, no ritual shade. How slowly this bell tolls in a monastery tower for a whole age, and for the quick death of an unready dynasty, and for that brave illusion, the adventurous self. For with one shot, the whole hunt is ended. Thomas Merton lived from 1915 to 1968. He's an American author, and although he was a prolific writer of poetry, as well as many other kinds of writings, he's not primarily known as a poet. Uh, in fact, he's famous for being a Trappist monk. Uh, Merton lived a very wild youth and an unprincipled and rebellious life, and he chronicles his religious conversion in the memoir, The Seven-Story Mountain, which is a beautiful and meaningful work of prose. You should definitely read it. Uh, after his conversion, he was now a Catholic, and Merton decided to become a monk, and so he joined a Trappist monastery in Kentucky. And there, uh, he participated in the offices of a monk, and he also wrote poetry and devotions and spiritual writing and kept up his scholarship until his tragic death by accidental electrocution in 1968, which was seven years after Ernest Hemingway's suicide. Uh, Ernest Hemingway committed suicide on July 2nd, 1961. Now today is July 7th, so it's five days too late to be the anniversary, but I tried to get this poem in as close to the anniversary of his death as I could. Now, Hemingway was a formative influence on Thomas Merton. Uh, he influenced him stylistically. Uh, there's not actually a 20th century author who didn't have to reckon with Hemingway's genius as a stylist, and Merton was no exception. He also influenced him philosophically. Uh, Merton was, uh, let me say that again, Merton was of the age of the famous lost generation, uh, who are so lovingly and mournfully 
memorialized and chronicled by Hemingway in his fiction. Uh, these are modern young people wrestling with despair, ennui, and meaninglessness in the wake of shattering world events like World Wars One and Two, the Great Depression, and uh, other manifestations of crumbling culture. In this poem, Merton memorializes Hemingway, but it is a complicated memorial. Uh, and this is because Merton was a Catholic, and not only a Catholic, but a Trappist monk, a monastic, which makes for a complex elegy for a self-proclaimed atheist like Hemingway, whose life ended in suicide, which is a mortal sin. Merton meets this spiritual dilemma frankly in the poem, emphasizing the prayers the monks are offering for the dead. The poem holds out hope that even if Hemingway is facing uh, what he calls a fire, that the fires are not merciless and not without end. The poem also offers homage in several places to Hemingway's legacy as a novelist. You probably heard the obvious references to his novels, The Sun Also Rises and For Whom the Bell Tolls. Uh, as the poem goes on, though, it expands past or beyond Hemingway's literary legacy into his uh, ability to uh, be an emblem or a vessel of the spirit of his age, uh, the spirit of longing for meaning in a world that seems to have lost its meaning. Uh, and in this, Merton identifies a kinship between Hemingway and himself and the monks who pray for his soul, saying, quote, they recognized a friend once known in a far country, end quote. He also, on the other hand, acknowledges a difference between himself and the religious life and uh, Hemingway as an atheist. Uh, he calls the ultra-masculine persona that was famously channeled by Hemingway as, quote, a brave illusion, that adventurous self. And then there's that final line with its layers of meaning and lament. Uh, the line is, for with one shot, the whole hunt is ended. I'm crazy about that line. That's multiple layers of meaning. Uh, on the surface, this could uh, and does reference Hemingway as a big game hunter. Uh, he was known for putting bullets through big game, and he put a bullet through his own head and thereby ended the hunt. Uh, the line also references Hemingway as a spiritual exile. This is on Hemingway's own terms, you know, hunting for meaning in a world bereft. And now, for good or for ill, that hunt is over, ending either in an afterlife, as Merton believes in, there's more knowledge uh, that Hemingway has gained, or in nothingness. And in that case, the hunt is well and truly ended. There's also perhaps embedded within this line a reference to the hunter of our souls, the devil who is described in Christian tradition as a, quote, roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. Uh, in this layer of meaning, the hunter becomes the prey, and this is the bleakest meaning of them all. Or, alternatively, the final line could reference the hound of heaven who has finally gathered the wayward soul to himself. And this is the meaning, I think, that Merton is hoping for, and I join him in that. 
I chose this poem for its proximity to the death of Hemingway on July 2nd. Uh, and also because this is the poem I read on the day that I heard that Cormac McCarthy died. Um, his death was very recent. Uh, and he also, like Hemingway, was a self-proclaimed skeptic and also, like Hemingway, a self-proclaimed seeker of meaning uh, in a modern wasteland. Uh, and this poem acknowledges the complexity of uh, wrestling with uh, our very uncertain, really completely uncertain knowledge of what happens after death uh, and, and, and how we reckon with that from differing perspectives on faith. So here it is one more time, an elegy for Ernest Hemingway by Thomas Merton. Now for the first time on the night of your death, your name is mentioned in convents, necadas in obscurum. Now with a true bell, your story becomes final. Now men in monasteries, men of requiems, familiar with the dead, include you in their offices. You stand anonymous among thousands, waiting in the dark at great stations on the edge of countries known to prayer alone, where fires are not merciless, we hope, and not without end. You pass briefly through our midst. Your books and writing have not been consulted. Our prayers are pro defuncto in. Yet some look up as though among a crowd of prisoners or displaced persons, they recognized a friend once known in a far country. For these, the sun also rose after a forgotten war upon an idiom you made great. They have not forgotten you. In their silence, you are still famous. No ritual shade. How slowly this bell tolls in a monastery tower for a whole age and for the quick death of an unready dynasty and for that brave illusion, the adventurous self. For with one shot, the whole hunt is ended. This has been The Daily Poem. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back Monday with another poem. To listen to past episodes or to support the show, please visit dailypoempod.substack.com. On behalf of our whole team at Goldberry Studios, especially our long-suffering producer, Logan Green, I'm Heidi White. Until next time, happy reading.